0: of this podcast and this time we'll be discussing another interesting topic about the cashless society for today's podcast episode we have invited once again Mr. Kylan Swaminathan, a seasoned banker, and i board worked with large financial institutions like Royal Bank of Scotland, ABN Amber Bank, Standard Chartered Bank, among others, and presently the Chief Executive at Whitebridge Consulting LLP, based in Chennai, India. As he discussed with us, its value proposition to our digital economy. So let's get started. Thank you for listening to FinCircle and welcome to our podcast. Many countries and regions are adopting cashless habits or policies driven by contactless pay technology, increasing digital penetration, cost of using cash, and policy initiatives the idea of a cashless society is no longer a figment of the imagination in the near term we are likely to witness a transition to less cash societies rather than a switch to cashless societies Cash still accounts for 85% of total consumer transactions globally. And among established alternatives to cash, cards are the fastest-growing payment instrument. What are the cashless economy pros or advantages? One of them is the increased scope for monetary policy reduced tax evasion, less crime and corruption, savings on cost of cash, as well as accelerated modernization of citizens. What about the cashless economy's cons or disadvantages? There are potential violation of privacy, increased risk of large-scale personal, and national security breaches and technology-dependent financial inclusion. Migration to a cashless economy includes considerations ranging from the purely financial to those social in nature. Consequently, a country-specific technological, financial and social situations will inform its specific benefits Drawbacks and approach to such a transition. There are two case studies in the transition to cashless. One of them is India, which is driven by the government digital initiatives and demonetization measures. Number two, Sweden, which is driven by a high-tech culture and digital consumer habits in Sweden the government and central bank play facilitating roles what are the country's best position to go cashless includes the following the United States the Netherlands Japan Germany France Belgium, Spain, Czech Republic, China and Brazil. Despite adoption of digital payment methods, global cash use remains high. In fact, cash still accounts for 85% of all consumer transactions globally. And across the world, cash in circulation has remained stable. With the ratio of cash circulation to gdp even increasing across major markets and it continues to be resilient because it provides anonymity and universality to the payer according to the recent mckinsey survey cash is still expected to remain a significant payment method in the near future however Services based on immediate payments are more efficient than cash and are expected to accelerate them all to digital payments. Though cash will remain prevalent for the foreseeable future, a migration to a cashless society is undoubtedly underway in certain countries. Sweden has long embraced cashless transactions and the European Union has imposed restrictions on large cash payments. In 2014, China had the fourth-largest non-cash transaction market by volume, behind only the United States, the Eurozone and Brazil. Hence, financial analysts have estimated that by 2025, e-commerce in China will be worth more than the e-commerce in the US, the UK, Japan, Germany, and France combined. While cash still reigns globally on aggregate, progress towards this what we call cashlessness is particularly pronounced in specific countries. Additionally, it is clear that there is no one-size-fits-all blanket solution for such a major shift. Because the migration involves technological, financial, and social considerations, we can expect each country to select an approach according to their unique positioning and capabilities. One of the most important takeaways is that, regardless of the approach, the transition to digital money and money services will have profound implications on some of the most basic aspects of the society. And this great change presents opportunities for governments to improve issues surrounding income inequality and poverty, as well as opportunities for entrepreneurs to create more innovative and disruptive businesses that will help everyone on their day-to-day activities. Today's podcast episode, we have invited once again, Mr. Kanan Swaminathan, a seasoned banker and presently the chief executive at Whitebridge Consulting LLP, as he discussed with us the significant relevance of cashless initiative to our digital economy. It's great to have you again, Kanan, and welcome back to FinCircle.
1: Thank you Edgar, great to meet you again. Yeah, I hear a lot of good things about Circle podcast series.
0: Let's probably start by describing the mode of payment situation that you have observed for the Asia-Pacific uh, region as compared to other locations. And where do you think we're going?
1: Yeah, we are actually in a very interesting space, uh, Edgar. Right. We are traditionally known to be a lot more of cash and check and coins and all of it in the last 10 years. But again, you have seen a tremendous transformation taking place in in the last seven or eight years, for that matter. Thanks to pandemic, there was a compulsion to adopt the digital mode of payments. But even prior to pandemic, there is a significant upsurge of uh, plastic money and the usage of mobile wallets, all of that has started. So all of that is in a good space. We see a lot of countries investing significantly on the infrastructure part of it to enable more such payments taking place in this mode. And there is also a lot of convergence that I see where the central platforms are being used by multiple players to enable the faster payment. So if you really look at the retail payments peer-to-peer, in all of that, significant amount of digitalization has taken place. So it's in a very interesting space, uh, personally, for me.
0: Given the significant developments on the digital space uh, canon, are there any pivot direction that you foresee that will somehow promote more inclusive economic growth?
1: Great question, Edgar. So, there, any initiative that you take across the world is going to face some challenges in some parts of the world. And digitization is not you know, an exception to that. So, if you really look at the con- certain continents across the world, you know, say, for example, Asia, is a very diverse continent in that regard. So, some countries are very sophisticated, have got a lot of infrastructures in place, and have Progressed significantly in revamping their payment platforms and introducing the new age payments in a big way, whereas some pockets of these countries, especially the rural side, is still lagging behind. So the big direction that has taken place in some countries, say for example, being in India, it will be wrong if I don't speak about the Pradhan Mantri Jan Dhan you know. So the 2014 initiative where the bulk of the nation's population got their accounts opened in a banking system. So introducing them into the formal financial services fraternity itself is a great first step that has taken place. Has that solved all the problems? Absolutely not. But has that is that a significant step in the right direction? Of course, yes. Because today you see despite uh, the, you know, the world going through a lot of challenges like the pandemic that we have seen. Bulk of those assistance given by the government into the hands of the people have fallen through into the channels of the banking, which is a significant step. Otherwise, you would have seen massive leakages happening across the distribution part of it, cash going from one location to another location into multiple distribution points, and eventually to the beneficiary to have been a disaster, I would say. So those things are are, are significantly changing. However, a couple of things to really watch out. So one is about providing that identity and verification of that identity, when it comes to pushing that inclusion agenda. We still have countries across the globe where having that identity itself is a bit of challenge for a marginalized people. So how how are some of those governments going to really tackle that and bring them into the formal system of finance? That's a big step that is yet to be seen in a systematic manner across the nations, The second big thing that uh, could happen is about the security part. So I, I use this word called economic singularity. What is really happening is that there is a huge penetration of the telecommunication and mobile network, and thereby you are now seeing a lot of financial transactions being done through these mobile devices. What that really also means is there is a significant incidence of data leakage, people falling into wrong hands, clicking wrong links. So those those phishing and wishing, those are the old terminologies. But that has also significantly been developing to trick the current sophisticated methods of payment. So there are people who don't take those necessary precautions keep losing their money. And what would be their level of confidence in continuing to use the digital mode of payment? So at least for from where I am seeing in the last six months, every day, if I'm not exaggerating, there is an incidence of somebody either sharing their OTP or clicking a wrong link and losing their life savings, right? to the wrong hands. So what is the protection available to them? And how can we really bring in a a sense of an increased surveillance, security, and a confidence for the people to come on board into the digital mode with a lot of uh, control in their hands. So that means there are new methods of securing those transactions, maybe facial recognition, maybe Uh, biometric authentication where you do see some of those things getting adapted in some of the platform players and still there are a a set of people who don't really know the sensitivity of either sharing their device or sharing their OTP to the wrong hands and all of these happening. So I think there need to be a lot more uh, you know centrally sponsored or government central bank kind of sponsored initiatives to increase the level of security awareness on the hands of people. So that they build their confidence, they know what to do in a very systematic manner and they are gaining confidence by using these digital methodologies. So that is one area which requires a little bit of uh, further work and it's an ongoing effort but it requires a little bit of further work. Because you see the people who are actually losing money are, are, are the people who Probably are new to the technology, probably are not really aware of various sophisticated ways in which they could become really vulnerable. And then they start losing the money. The third element when I started talking about the singularity is that today you are passing on information about you and about your behavior to everybody on the net. Right? It, it it's almost like, you know standing without cloths in front of the whole world. <laughs> Everything about you is known to every single service provider. So the kind of clicks that you make, the kind of purchase decisions you make and the kind of payment methodologies that you use, all of that is heavily available to the respective companies or to the intermediaries. So how? what, what could have been the, the most uh, probable way where there can be a sense of a regulation around this, in terms of the data protection or a data sharing and, and seeking that consent and how, how, how do we really put some of these controls in place so that when people get exposed to a digital transaction, they feel secure about it. Okay. So that's an area which requires again a further thing. and. Uh, fourth one where probably there has not been much of uh, action that has that i have personally seen anywhere is that are we really practicing the resilience so what happens if there is a major system disaster or telecommunication disaster and you rely completely on these mobile wallets and your uh, you know pos machines to get connected how do you really transact in that kind of a world so maybe is there a scope for you know, in enhancing the innovation to bring in certain element of an offline secured way, like in the, in the olden days, uh, Edgar sure you would have seen there is always a concept of an offline ATM. right? Where you know it is not real-time connected to your account, but the providers are taking a very conscious calculated mm-hmm. models to determine how much can you really withdraw in the event of unable to really connect to the server. So those kind of solutions, if it is made available to the app, it will probably enhance even the, the confidence much better. So though we say it is a, it is a 4G and 5G in most cities, the, the sad story is also that there is a connectivity issue in, when once you grow, go out of the bigger cities. So that's another area where we need to really start thinking about the continuity part of it and how do you really give that seamless experience to the user who's embracing the digital journey.
0: Very good point, uh, Canon. What is the adoption ratio that you've seen for the mobile wallet, for instance, or other cashless transactions in the region as compared to other emerging markets in the world?
1: Well, it's a very mixed story, right? And and I would very clearly distinguish between a mobile wallet versus a digital transaction, right? While mobile wallet could be a digital transaction, but a stored value or a mobile wallet where you store value and then start using it. I I in, in my view, you know, there was a lot of hype in creating those wallets and storing money in those wallets which enables you to quicker the transaction cycle time and and create a wow experience. Mm. Some markets are really thriving in Asia with with those. So for example, your WeChat pay and all of that is using that significantly and we have seen that happening even in Japan around the Olympics time where there was a lot of push for the digital payments to come through, and uh, whereas in 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 some other areas, so even in in say for example in Indian scenario, there was a lot of uh, fanfare around these mobile wallets a few years ago, but today nobody is really talking of that wallet because why would you really take out your money from somewhere and then put it into your wallet and use it for your payments? You know, is there any value that's arising out of it? So I see increasingly the mobile wallet as a wallet as a concept is is losing its relevance so when there are technologies and platforms which are seamlessly enabling you to do the transaction almost real time why would you really need to store the money elsewhere in a wallet which can you know which, which doesn't offer anything significant anything significant to the user so it's a it's a, it's an opportunity for these mobile wallet organizations in, in terms of what can they do to incentivize their customers to start using the wallet so could could it be in the form of a loyalty points or could it be more discounts and rewards and cash box and whatnot which makes it more attractive for people to continue to use the wallet system personally I've never I'm never a fan of a wallet as a as a solution so today, you know you can make a payment with your account number you can make a payment with your phone number you can make you can just scan a qr and make the payment when all of those are available which is where the banks have upgraded their technology and central banks have facilitated that kind of a movement of money what what, what is that USP that they need to really chase that's the real big question
0: from your perspective uh, canon what are the things that works effectively well and things that we can improve further on the mobile wallet digital options of today?
1: Well, I, th- I think it, it it is working well in terms of, uh, you know, making the people not to carry cash. So it is meeting that kind of an objective to some extent to the targeted population, right? And it is also leveraging people a wider option of choosing what to buy and where to buy and a plenty of data around the, you know, their buying decisions that are coming into place. However, the things that I think which can further enhance this is about the user experience itself. Is it just one step at the time of checkout that where you key in a card number or you link a wallet or you, you scan a QR code and go ahead? Or it can, can it be little more, uh, I, I, I would say, giving confidence in terms of tokenization. Right? Tokenization has been introduced in some markets and that's working well. And, and whether tokenization can be a, a larger solution so that none of your identity ever gets you know published or used in the sites and the purchase decisions that you make and especially in the social media. And the user experience is is all about the various options that are available to me at the time of making the purchase choice. So is is there a a better seller option available? Can I get it at a cheaper price or can I get it at a a payment plan as to buy now, pay later kind of schemes? Can they all be integrated which further fuels into growth of the retail lending portfolio of these players? So, all of that is yet to really take place in its full form. It's existing in bits and pieces in some markets and in some providers.
0: How do you foresee the digital payment of the future? And what should be our realistic expectation in this regard?
1: Great question. Future is actually shrinking, right? Future as a concept, if you had asked 10 years ago, people would have given you a five-year roadmap and see this is how it is. But if you ask five years ago, people say next year this may happen. But today, as we are speaking in 2023, future could be a couple of months, right? (laughs) You know, things are changing so fast around us and it is very, very difficult to really a, a, a really put a bet in terms of you know this is how it could ever, ever evolve because every day you see a lot of innovations taking place. Every day new new companies are coming up with the bigger solutions and much more integrated uh, ways of handling things. All of that is taking place. But however, what could be an ideal future for a user like me when I start using the mobile payments is 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 all about you know is there a possibility that I I am doing the transaction as a lesser cost. By making all those changes in my devices, and in my technology, and in my uh, skills, when I am adopting something for the better, for the larger cause of the economy, is there an incentive for me to go that way? Today, if you really ask me, now I am being penalized for using the digital payments in the name of convenience fees and in the name of so many other charges that get added. So, uh, uh, a hundred rupees becomes 102 or 103 when I actually make the payment because I need to pay to the intermediary interchange charges and there is a usage for usage fees and there is a convenience fee that get added. So, if it is an expensive option, how long can I really sustain and push myself to start using those ex- expensive options for my day-to-day expenses? So is there a way where the, there is a higher transparency in terms of the cost and there is a competitiveness that is built on, which means that you know, I need not get cheaper, but at least I don't need to get penalized. right? <laughs> so I, I, I start using that. So today I'm telling you a very real example. When I start making a railway ticket booking through my digital options, I end up paying a surcharge, I end up paying an additional cost for the transaction fee levied by the intermediary and all of it. When I make an electricity payment digitally, I again end up making some payment. And and I still see in some shops, when I say I'm paying through a credit card, they say, we will add 2% more. So what is the incentive, right? If everybody is is gaining through the digitalization, then is everybody not sharing what they are gaining equally so that the whole society can develop, right? That's a big, 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 big pain, And and I think that will start becoming more real when when the costs get reduced and it becomes competitive and people will start choosing the low cost options.
0: According to the recent survey conducted by McKinsey, there has been an exponential increase on digital frauds and data breaches for online payments, particularly during the pandemic situation. How do you think we should prepare to mitigate this particular circumstance?
1: Absolutely, you, you, you're right and I also saw that report and if you remember earlier in the conversation, we were talking about the vulnerability right? for people who use the digital mode of payments, that vulnerability always exists and it gets worse when the data breach happens in some of the credit card companies and some of the uh, you know banks and financial services players when there is a data leak that happens. So it, it is an increasing headache. It is is continuing to be an increasing headache and the fraudsters have also come up with a lot more sophisticated ways to take away your money eventually. So the only way is a constant education, increase in the security. So, you know, very recently I saw that there is a big push in some markets about the tokenization and two-factor authentication. So that all forces people to really exercise caution when using digital channels which will really make the number of fraud attempts and frauds little more controlled right. However is the frauds going to stop under any circumstances Probably no so we, we keep hearing about a blockchain technology we keep hearing about a lot of other, distributed ledger kind of securities uh, distributed ledger kind of security systems coming into various aspects of financial services so if all of that gets upgraded on a digital payment as a mechanism maybe there is a better future we don't know whether how expensive that is or how quickly that's going to happen but it, it you know that's one ray of hope second ray of hope that I have is a constant push by the authorities and the governments and central banks and the players to continually educate their customers and the users to, to, to be more cautious while dealing in electronic mode. And the third element is about there is still a group of marginalized people who still may not use the banking system for all their transactions. So how are you going to really invite them to be part of this big game? Right? So that's going to be another area where there is a constant efforts that are really needed.
0: Given your considerable experience on financial digital initiatives, uh, Canon, any word of advice that uh, you can give with regards to this subject matter? Be safe.
1: Convenience comes at the cost. Yeah. So be safe with your data. You don't show your ballot to anybody that you see across on the street. Why would you really want to? You know, be less cautious about your digital identity and digital data that's being quoted. And and don't be greedy because some of these people have been cheated. With with an idea of, uh, we will give you uh, X amount of money, Y amount of money, if you click this link and people fall prey into this and start sharing OTPs and all of that. So don't be greedy. Money can be earned only with your hard work, nothing else. There is no other way. <laughs> I believe in that. You know, reinforce those morals in, into the people's mind.
0: Very well said. Are there any initiatives that you're working with, uh, Canon, that you would like to share with our podcast listening audience? And most importantly, what are the easiest way of uh, reaching out or contacting you?
1: Great. So I work more as a consultant to financial services in the risk management area and the change management requirements. So anybody who's interested can always get in touch with me. And I also work as an executive coach and I train people on leadership as well. The best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. And my email ID is kannans at whitebridge.co.in.
0: Well, thanks so much, Canon, for sharing us your valuable insights on the significant relevance of uh, cashless initiatives to our virtual economy. We wish you all the best in your future endeavors.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And and good luck with the great work that you're doing, Edgar, on spreading awareness about these very important topics of the day.
0: This podcast episode is made possible by Whitebridge Consulting, LLP. We would like to express our sincere appreciation to Swami Swaminathan on sharing his remarkable perspective on cashless initiatives to our digital economy. We would like to hear from you, share us your thoughts regarding our topics and send us a message on the Anchor Voice message box your message could end up in our future podcast episode make sure you never miss any episodes of FinCircle by clicking the subscribe button or follow us on Spotify Apple Podcast Breaker Google Podcasts, Amazon Music Radio Public Pocket Cast, Audible Overcast Stitcher and anchored at FM. You can also reach us on our website at fincircle.wordpress.com and our Facebook page at fincircle podcast. This concludes our podcast episode today. Thank you for listening to Fincircle. This said Angeles let's catch up again soon.